Welcome to the program, Benson and those guys, talking sports, highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program with sports, it's a sports program with faith. You can find out more about us on our website, btgprogram.com. Follow us on Twitter, at btgprogram. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. Our show is brought to you by the good people at Town & Country Pest Solutions. You look sick down there. I don't feel very good. (laughs) I'm here with those guys, Pastor Shane, Zach. Darren, and Darren looks like he's going to throw up. Now, now you came in tonight, and you told us that you had All-American. You felt like you ate All-American I'm All-American today. today. Tell us us what you ate. Started with a Denny's Grand Slam. Then I went home and had some Captain Crunch. And uh, then I ate some fudge. Forgot to tell you guys that part. And then I ate uh, some McDonald's. And you're wondering why you don't feel good. I feel terrible. Good night. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, Pastor Shane's going to share his testimony, tell us how he first came to Christ. Zach's going to bring us up to date on everything that went down at the NHL trade deadlines. And Darren's going to, if he doesn't throw up, he's going to share his unreasonable rant. <laughs> and then later on in the, via the BTG studio line, we're going to talk to Ted Cluck. Ted has written a number of books dealing with sports and faith. The Atlanta Braves are no longer going to hear B.J. Upton fly it out to left field. <laughs> B.J. Upton is changing his name, going back to his birth name of Melvin. Yes. Yes he, to this. This worked for Mike Stanton. <laughs> you might remember Mike Stanton changed his name to Giancarlo, started going by that in 2012, and it really blossomed into the player that he is today. B.J. Upton has had a couple of awful years the last couple of years. He's going to go by Melvin, and hopefully he gets to the same thing. At least that's what the Atlanta Braves are hoping for. If his name was Melvin, where did BJ come from? I'm glad you asked. His <laughs> father's name, they called him Bossman. That was his father's nickname. Okay. So he was Bossman Jr., BJ. Ah, okay. The things you learn on the Benson and Those Guys program. <laughs> Former NBA player Daniel Orton learned the hard way that you don't rip on Manny Pacquiao in the Philippines. The six foot ten center was fined. And released from, and if I can get this name right, he was playing for the Pure Food Star Hotshots of the Philippine Basketball Association. Manny Pacquiao, who is also a congressman, was playing basketball. In fact, he was playing for the Kia Carnival. He's a player coach. So Orton says that Pacquiao playing is a joke. Professional boxer? Yeah. Congressman? All right. But professional basketball player? Seriously, it's a joke. Orton is now unemployed. Hot Shots team administrator Rene Pardo told Philippine reporters, it's like he went to the United States and insulted the name of Martin Luther King. Um, no. Maybe not so much. Yeah, I don't think it's the same thing at all. Did you guys see where Baylor running back Silas Nasita was ruled ineligible by the NCAA because he accepted impermissible, impermissible benefits while he was homeless last summer? He was homeless. There's got to be a way to get homeless students into scholarship programs so that this doesn't become an issue. Now, right? he, had, he, he had said that he accepted benefits from a close, close family friend. He then came out and apologized and said, well, you know, it wasn't really a close family friend. It was somebody I knew. He took some benefits. I, I think somewhere in here there's, 
I guess there's a difference between what Baylor is saying and what he is saying. And Baylor was kind of playing it cool. They said, we appreciate his contributions to Baylor football and wish him well as he completes his studies. They really weren't throwing him under the bus. But I guess he didn't follow their advice somewhere along the way. So he's saying now the NCAA ruled him ineligible. And wherever that truth is, though, there's a problem with this rule. That's what I'm trying to get to. The fact that they took away his eligibility because he accepted a meal and a place to live. Sports Illustrated did an article a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few months at this point, on how much homelessness is out there for high school and college athletes. There's a lot more than I ever knew. It was eye-opening for me to read this. This poor kid, this is a lot different than accepting a Lamborghini to go to a particular university. Mm -hmm. This is accepting a place to live and a meal to eat. I can't imagine how the NCAA rules him ineligible. And you know what? On his behalf, he really stepped up. I don't know if you guys saw his tweets about it, but he stepped up. He took responsibility. He said, I made a mistake. It's my fault. You know, I'm sorry. He apologized, and he was sincere about it. The other big takeaway from that is his Twitter handle is at salsa underscore nacho, which may be the greatest <laughs> Twitter handle I've ever seen. <laughs> it's a great Twitter handle. Coming up later in the program, as we said, Shane's going to share his testimony. Zach's going to give us some info on the NHL trades that went down. Darren's going to try to keep his lunch in his stomach. We got Ted Cluck coming up. Lots of good stuff. You're listening to Benson and those guys. The show's brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. If you have a pest problem, they are who you need to call. I know it's still cold and snowy outside, but those warm days are right around the corner and those pesky critters are going to start coming out. Town & Country Pest Solutions has been in business for over 25 years and have a team of knowledgeable professionals that guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. G&T Youth Baseball is registering for its 2015 season. G&T has divisions to accommodate boys and girls ranging from ages 5 to 15 years. Games are played Saturday mornings beginning May 2nd and continuing through June 27th. Some age groups will have a weeknight practice time as well. All games are played at the beautiful G&T Sports Park in Hilton. The baseball programs offered through G&T Athletics teach baseball in a fun, family-centered environment that is sure to provide your family with many fond memories. For more information or to register, visit gntathletics.info. That's gntathletics.info. Hey, you know what else GNT has? Men's softball. And registration is open for that now, too. All the games are played on Monday nights. They're all at the GNT Sports Park in Hilton. Season's scheduled to begin May 4th, conclude August 3rd. There'll be two practice nights, April 20th and 27th, so long as the weather holds out so you can get out there, run around a little bit. Registration is only $60 if you act now, but you got to act now because the discount rate is scheduled to end March 14th. After that, the price is going to jump. Registration ends completely April 12th or when the program is full. If you have a group of guys you want to play with, the registration form allows for that. Put all their names down. G&T will try their best to keep you guys together. Now, they will stop short of guaranteeing that because they want to keep a competitive balance in the league, but they're going to do their best. If you're just that lone wolf or maybe you and a buddy want to play, GNT will find a team for you. They'll get you on. There's a bunch of guys like that. Go to gntathletics.info. That's gntathletics.info and find yourself over to their softball page. GNT Softball. Registration open now. In retirement, will you outlive your money? It's a common question for people approaching retirement. 
but it doesn't need to weigh on you. Ask Ameriprise Financial Advisor Nathan R. Wegman about the new Confident Retirement Approach. You and Nathan can break down retirement, planning step-by-step to get the real answers you need. Call Nathan R. Wegman, Financial Advisor, today at 585-272-0080. Office is located at 2024 West Henrietta Road, Building 3E, Rochester, New York, 14623. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the program. Spencer and those guys. As we bang our heads against the wall with our thrash rage metal. Dude, hate all you want, but I kind of like that. Tons of hockey trades went down with the NHL deadline this past week. Zach is our resident hockey expert. Zach, why don't you give us a rundown on everything that happened? There was a big flurry of deals on Wednesday and Thursday, and, and some of them were kind of expected. Some of them were kind of out of the blue. There was a really weird one on Thursday where the Blue Jackets sent Nathan Horton to the Maple Leafs for David Clarkson, and it's weird because Clarkson's been terrible and is on a terrible contract. So that makes no sense for the Blue Jackets, but Nathan Horton is so has such a severe back injury and is on long-term injured reserve, there's a legitimate chance he never plays again. So you traded a guy that wasn't helping you for a guy that's not even going to play. Now, they will get a little cap relief. Maybe that was their motivation, but that one I thought was a little strange. Um, the Florida Panthers got Yaramir Yager from the Devils for two picks, which I didn't see. I saw him being traded, but not to the Panthers. They traded Sean Bergenheim earlier this week, who is a guy that, if you're a buyer at the deadline, I thought you would keep. So it's weird that they managed to be like buyers and sellers in the same week, almost. What what team benefited the most from the trades? What team came out really a lot stronger than they went in? I thought the LA Kings. They made the one trade with Carolina for Andre Sakara, but he's such a perfect fit for what they do as a very mobile defenseman, a good puck mover, um, great at the breakout pass to get out of their own zone and and... It's a case of the rich getting richer, I think, and I would be very surprised if they don't re-sign him. I think he's a long-term piece there. Does that change your feeling? Are the Kings the team now to beat out West? Uh, I think so. I I mean, you look at, at, at what uh, the Blackhawks are going to have to do. Patrick Kane's out 12 weeks. I don't know how you Man, replace a What a tough a guy week like for that. Chicago. Yeah. So the Blackhawks lose Kane. It's a real bad week for Chicago. The Bulls Chicago. lose Rose. What a tough week. Maybe it's my perception, but Pete Rose seems to be a little more visible than he has been over the last few years. I turn on the TV, there he is. I turn on the radio, there he is. I just, uh, I've seen him a lot. By the way, I love that commercial where he's getting yelled at for being in the hall. Maybe Pete Rose is doing a little uh, campaigning, once again, for Cooperstown. Perhaps thinking a new commissioner might mean a new opportunity to get into the hall. In the days leading up to Rob Manfred taking over, he said this, Would I vote for Roger Clemens? You're darn right I would, only he didn't use darn. Would I vote for Barry Bonds? You're darn right I would, again, substituting something for darn. These guys are seven-time MVPs, seven-time Cy Young Award winner. Now, he kind of makes a point. They're great players. But are they great players because of the performance-enhancing drugs? I do give Pete Rose some credit. In most interviews I've seen, he's only blamed himself for the situation he finds himself in. Although in an interview in August of last year, he did say that he thought it was a one-year ban he was agreeing to, and he wasn't sure why his lawyers would have agreed to a lifetime ban. I looked at it really as a year suspension. And to this day, I have no idea why my, why my lawyers would accept a lifetime suspension. 
sure, I had to, I'm, I'm there listening to him, but, uh, most players when I played, when you look at your contract and stuff, you don't read the fine print. Rose had agreed to a lifetime ban in 1989 following an investigation which concluded that he bet on the Reds to win while managing the team. He bet on the team to win. That's different. If you're betting on a team to lose, then you're putting yourself in a situation where you can throw the game. You can manipulate it. Very hard to manipulate it when you're trying to win. You're trying to win anyway. Bad decision? Absolutely. Put yourself in a bad predicament? Absolutely. Looks bad? Absolutely. Sure does. But why is he standing up for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens? Does he think that by saying they belong, that that gives him a better chance to get in? That's a complete reversal from the stance he used to take on PED users in the Hall of Fame. He'd tell people that while he may have gambled on baseball, he wasn't a drug cheat. He'd say that those guys had problems that were way worse than his. They altered the statistics of the game. He never did that. Is the home run record legit? Probably not. Are Roger Clemens's records legit? Probably not. Certainly not if Bonds and Clemens are guilty. Is Pete Rose's record legit? Absolutely. Because he's been on a team to win, he's not in the Hall of Fame? Now, I've met Pete Rose. This is definitely a different cat. He doesn't come across as a guy you're going to easily trust. He comes across as someone who's very self-serving. I'm sure the reason he's not in the Hall has something to do with the way he rubbed people. The guy's a jerk. What goes around does eventually come around, and sometimes it bites. But Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. The punishment does not fit the crime. He bet on his team to win. That was an expression of confidence, not an opportunity for manipulation. Pete Rose thought, we're going to win this game, and I'll even bet you that we'll win this game. I'm so sure of it. His betting on the game was not performance-enhancing. I think one of the big problems in sports is what Roger Goodell has been dealing with over this past year, and that is there's a lack of consistency in judgment, and the punishment's handed out. It's a problem that plagues much of our society. Class, race, financial status, unfortunately these things all have some influence, in many cases, over the judgments that are handed out. And unfortunately there's just a lack of, a lack of standards. A lack of consistent standards, I should say that. God tells us to treat others fairly, establishing in Exodus 23 the need to be fair regardless of person. He says don't show favor towards one or disfavor towards another. I think Rose was right when he said he would have been better off being a drug addict because they'd pay for his rehab and give him another chance and that he'd, he'd still be managing probably. Well, maybe not still, but he would have continued to be managing. He says, unlike me, it seems most other guys or a lot of other guys who do this or do that, they've all gotten second chances. He's right. He says, I would have been better off to be a drug addict or a spousal beater or an alcoholic. If I'd been one of those three, they probably would have paid for my rehab and I'd still be managing a baseball team. That's the sad thing about my case. He's got a point. How do we justify a 50-game suspension, a 60-game suspension, whatever it is, for guys that are taking drugs to enhance their ability to play the game? And then we turn around and we hand them million-dollar contracts, multi-million-dollar contracts. And yet Pete Rose can't get into the Hall of Fame even though his stats are legitimate, he was the best hitter in all. How do you have a Hall of Fame without the best hitter in the game? The best hitter who's ever played the game? Doesn't add up.
Which brings us to Chuck Knobloch's tweet about Andy Pettit. The Yankees announced that they're retiring Andy Pettit's number 46 later this season. Chuck Knobloch tweets out, congrats to 46. Yankees retiring his number. Hopefully they don't retire it like his HGH testimony. The sent Yankee fans through the roof. They responded with mean-spirited, hurtful, offensive tweets directly at him, reminding him of both his on-field and off-field problems. Is that fair? The Yankees have completely washed the board of Andy Pettit's HGH testimony. He admitted to using performance-enhancing drugs, albeit for a couple of times. Should we be taking number 46 out of service for the New York Yankees? The guy's admitted drug user. He cheated. Why do we treat him differently than we treat others? I can tell you why. He's a nice guy. He's a great guy. He's a believer in Christ. He's got a great testimony. I've seen him with his kids. He loves his sons. He's a great father. He's a great guy. Very approachable. Maybe other people aren't. So they get treated differently. I don't think Chuck Knobloch was taking a shot at Andy Pettit. In the tweet, he says, congratulations, 46. But I'm sure Chuck Knobloch is frustrated and confused. He was a great ball player, part of championship winning teams. Then he developed something that I don't understand. All of a sudden, he just can't throw. He can't throw from second base to first base. And baseball fans, Yankee fans in particular, never let him forget. It's got to be embarrassing. Then he's got his off the field problems, and they never let him forget that. And then you see somebody who is an admitted cheater, admitted uh, HGH taker, getting celebrated and having their number retired. I'm sure that's frustrating, and I'm sure it's unfair. Andy Pettit was a great player. He's a great guy. He's a great pitcher. I just don't know why we have to retire the number now, especially when we haven't figured out how to handle the steroid era. We still don't know what to do with these guys that took performance-enhancing drugs. We still don't know how to handle Barry Bonds, his record, Roger Clemens, the Hall of Fame. We haven't figured any of that out. The baseball writers are holding it against them. They're not putting these guys in the Hall. So if guys from the steroid era are not getting into the Hall of Fame, not only guys convicted, but guys suspected of steroid use, they're not getting into the Hall of Fame, why are the New York Yankees jumping the gun and retiring the number of a known HGH user? I understand Chuck Knobloch's frustration. Why is Andy Pettit being dealt with differently? Other guys, Mike Piazza perhaps hasn't gotten into the Hall of Fame because of suspected PED use, and yet Andy Pettit's going to have his number retired by the New York Yankees. Pete Rose can't get into the Hall of Fame because he bet on his team to win, yet Andy Pettit's having his number retired by the New York Yankees. I realize I'm a Yankees fan and not everybody may feel this way. Having your number retired by the New York Yankees might even be a bigger honor than getting inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Maybe Pete Rose needs Patricia Arquette to go on about Hall of Fame inequality the next time she wins an Oscar award. Zach, you have something? Well, this was just reminding me of the fact that there are a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that did a lot worse things for the integrity of the game than Pete Rose. I mean, mm-hmm. there are guys in the Hall of Fame that threw spitballs. That's cheating. There are guys in the Hall of Fame that scuffed the baseball or took amphetamines. Uh, John McGraw, the former manager of the Giants and Yankees way back, used to round the corners of the bases and teach his teams ways to cheat. There are a lot of guys in there that did things that were directly detrimental to the play on the field. And... What Pete Rose did, while illegal, was not any of that. So I, I think it's very hypocritical that he's out and some of these guys are in there. And, and that's the point. He didn't do anything that really manipulates the game as performance-enhancing drugs would. I, I he think, didn't bet on his team to lose. I think it all just goes 
to what you said earlier is Pete Rose is kind of a jerk. Had he been a nicer guy, I, I don't think he's still out of baseball. Now, I agree with you. He should be in the Hall of Fame. He's the greatest hitter of all time. I, I don't understand why he's still banned. Like it, it does not make sense to me other than the fact that, that, that Benson made is he wasn't, he's not really well liked by everybody. That's a hundred percent true. Uh, it, if you are, I think we've seen from guys like Jason Giambi and Andy Pettit, if you own up to what you did and you take responsibility for it, we have short memories and we forget. And yeah. if you, if you're like Pete Rose or Barry Bonds and you deny and deny and deny, then we're going to hold it against you. Yeah. It, just, it basically all comes down to if people like you or not, that's how much grace you're going to be given. Coming up later in the show, we're going to talk about, well, I don't know. We're going to talk about other stuff. You're listening to Benson and those guys brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions. GNT Youth Baseball is registering for its 2015 season. GNT has divisions to accommodate boys and girls ranging from ages 5 to 15 years. Games are played Saturday mornings beginning May 2nd and continuing through June 27th. Some age groups will have a weeknight practice time as well. All games are played at the beautiful GNT Sports Park in Hilton. The baseball programs offered through GNT Athletics teach baseball in a fun, family-centered environment that is sure to provide your family with many fond memories. For more information or to register, visit gntathletics.info. That's gntathletics.info. Hey, you know what else GNT has? Men's softball. And registration is open for that now, too. All the games are played on Monday nights. They're all at the GNT Sports Park in Hilton. Season's scheduled to begin May 4th, conclude August 3rd. There'll be two practice nights, April 20th and 27th, so long as the weather holds out so you can get out there, run around a little bit. Registration is only $60 if you act now, but you got to act now because the discount rate is scheduled to end March 14th. After that, the price is going to jump. Registration ends completely April 12th or when the program is full. If you have a group of guys you want to play with, the registration form allows for that. Put all their names down. G&T will try their best to keep you guys together. Now, they will stop short of guaranteeing that because they want to keep a competitive balance in the league, but they're going to do their best. If you're just that lone wolf or maybe you and a buddy want to play, GNT will find a team for you. They'll get you on. There's a bunch of guys like that. Go to gntathletics.info. That's gntathletics.info and find yourself over to their softball page. GNT Softball. Registration open now. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. If you have a pest problem, they are who you need to call. I know it's still cold and snowy outside, but those warm days are right around the corner and those pesky critters are going to start coming out. Town & Country Pest Solutions has been in business for over 25 years and have a team of knowledgeable professionals that guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Welcome back to the show. Benson and those guys brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Training camps are pretty much all open now, and the circus that is Alex Rodriguez is in full force. Oh, wait, he's in camp? I hadn't heard anything. <laughs> I hadn't heard. <laughs> Showed up early. I don't know why that really frosted him so much, but that really seemed to upset the Yankees that he got there. They didn't give, he didn't give him a heads up or anything. And I, I guess I do kind of understand it a little bit. This big a media circus is coming. Yeah. 
You want to have a little heads up, don't you think? Give us a warning. <laughs> Let us get the dishes done. But he's apologized. He said, I'm sorry. You guys good with that? I'm sorry. Uh, I, I thought the apology was a little lacking just in the language. Because he says, I take full responsibility for the mistakes. He doesn't say, I take full responsibility, I'm sorry I took steroids. Or, I'm sorry I sued the league and the Yankees. Or, you know, or... Or tried to buy evidence against myself. You well, know, at no point during this mistakes. whole experience, during this whole thing, is no point has he ever said, given details of what it is he's done. Mm-hmm. He, I'm sorry. I th- maybe it's just picking nits. Maybe it's just me. But I think if you're going to apologize, you should do it right and actually say, "This is what I am sorry for doing." But no, he, maybe he, he got a couple of apologies. He got one a few years ago. He got another one now. So you can kind of compare them and say which apology do you like better. Yeah, neither one of them really. I, I, that's just what I was looking for. I wanted him to name the sins, I guess. I, I very rarely have anything good to say about A. Rod, but I, for once, yes, his. I agree with you in a sense that his apology wasn't wasn't awesome. But I just don't. I think he doesn't really know how to apologize. I, I kind of believe him this time in the fact that he really is going to try and be better. Before, I feel like it was just words to try and fool people. This time, I, I really, I do kind of believe him. I just, I just don't think he knows how to properly apologize. I'm rooting for him. Me too. I, I am. I'm rooting for the guy to do well. Not, not from a baseball perspective. From a human perspective, there's a human side to this. I think Alex Rodriguez is that weird kid, you know, that's got all the talent though. He he's got awkward. The, he's got, the, he's got the body. He's got the strength. He's got the looks. He's got everything going for him. But he just says and does weird things. He's a 40-year-old man-child, really. Is what when he is. came out and said what he said about Derek Jeter, it was just kind of weird and misplaced. And he wants to be the leader, and he's got all the skills, talent-wise, to be the best baseball leader on the field, but he can't be the clubhouse leader. He's a great guy. Everybody says he's a great guy in the clubhouse, good guy to have around. He's just not the leader. Because he says, he puts his foot in his mouth. He seems insecure. Now that happens all the time in life. That happens every day in your, in your office job, in your, wherever you are, that happens. It's just not under this spotlight. This poor guy, I'm rooting for him. I feel bad. If you read the ESPN the magazine article, you can't help but feel bad for him. Here's a guy that grew up without his dad. And that's probably a lot of the problems right there. He had no dad to give him direction, give him, he was never disciplined. Uh, he got his way for everything because he was the meal ticket. But here's the thing. He's got his daughters are going to start. They're reaching that age where they know what's going on. And you just kind of feel bad that here's this guy that is trying to save whatever legacy he has left in the game. And he's offering an apology. And he goes and he makes a mistake. And then he apologizes again. Here's Let me compare it this way. Let's say you make a mistake. You went home with a girl from the office party. And you woke up the next morning and you wish, man, I wish I hadn't done that. But nobody knows about that. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to publicize it. That's Alex Rodriguez, except everybody knows about it. Everybody sees him. It's no different. I just feel bad. I think we have to accept his apology. I think as believers in Christ, we're obligated to accept his apology. I'm not saying you have to trust him. But I'm saying you have to accept his apology. You agree? 
I think that that's one thing that I I see with this whole situation is that people call for that apology. They want to hear him say he's he's sorry. And he does that. I mean, he did it in such a very nice fashion by making a handwritten note saying how sorry he was. We all know that handwritten notes are much more sincere. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's one thing is that we shouldn't be so overly critical of his apology. It's more of a he apologized. OK, let's let the man play baseball. Let's sit back and see what happens with it. Well, the handwritten thing, again, that goes back to my awkward thing about Alex Rod. He just says, okay, I'm going to give a handwritten note. Well, a handwritten note is only effective as if I'm giving you the handwritten note. If I'm getting a handwritten note and then putting it in the back of a newspaper, that's not a handwritten note. It's just a facsimile of a handwritten note. It, it, it loses the personal touch. There's no personal touch, and that's why you write a handwritten note for that personal touch. It, 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 and I agree. It is weird. But strangely, I appreciate it so much more. It's so different from anything that, you know, the Twitter, uh, that somebody sending out a 140-character tweet saying they're sorry. You know, that's that, how he should have apologized. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> I think A-Rod's just a dork. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> I think he's that guy. He's the dork, though, that's got all the athletic skills, all the good looks, and he just doesn't know how to hit. I feel so bad for the guy. The thing I've heard time and time again from former teammates is he's insecure. Uh, he just wants everyone to like him so badly that he just uh, he just comes off awkwardly. Yeah, I think you make a great point. I think that goes back to his upbringing. He's looking for that attention. I think the fact that his father wasn't there, the article that I read goes on and talks about his dad just up and left. And mom had to explain, well, you know, here's why he left. And uh, many years in between before he saw his dad again. And when they did get together again, he never asked the question. The dad never offered, well, why did you leave? And he's looking for that approval. That has always eaten at him. And you're mm -hmm. looking for that approval, and everything you do is you're just trying to get acceptance, and that's a tough place to be. And that's why I kind of I'm rooting for him. I want him to do well. Again, not because I want the Yankees to win. Of course I do. Man, I want him to come out and rake. I want him to hit 35 home runs, 100 and some RBIs, and hit over 300. Not gonna happen. I probably not. But more importantly, from a human side, I just want him to do well. I want him to be able to walk away from the game with something intact. Absolutely. You know, you just kind of mm -hmm. feel bad. I, you think of the time when, when Peter asked Christ, how many times should we forgive somebody? And Christ says, 70 times 7. There is no number. You just need to forgive. Again, I'm not saying you need to place all your trust in Alex Rodriguez, but we do have an obligation to forgive him and move on. Let him play baseball. Well, if you look at the things that Christ has forgiven us of in our lives that we wouldn't want anybody to know about, we can forgive him for taking some drugs, I think, right? I think you're absolutely right. When you turn the camera on yourself and you think of all that you've been forgiven of, Zach, you make a great point. You should be Pastor Zach. <laughs> we should take Pastor out of shame because he hasn't said anything and put it on you. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing I would have liked to have seen him do in regards to the milestone bonuses that are coming up, I thought... If he really wanted to add some credibility back with the fans and, and, and kind of restore some of the integrity or to say, don't pay me the bonuses. Don't, you know what? I know there's some asterisks. I know there's questions around that. Just don't give me the milestone bonuses. I, you know, that, that would make me like him a lot more. I think that would make 
everybody. A lot of people like him a lot more. That would get a lot of people on the side, and that's what I'm saying to the awkward side of Alex. He doesn't do those things. You, you can't tell me there's not someone in his corner right now telling him to maybe do this. I don't think he listens to those people. For instance, you know, when the Yankees tell him, give us a heads up, or the Yankees tell him, we think you should do this, and he still he does his own thing. I understand how he doesn't see that this would help him. I'm going to go the opposite way. You know, when that's what makes, you know, believing in Jesus Christ so great is when he forgives us, we don't have to pay anything back. Oh, Zach, you just lost your pastor. It's right back yeah. on chain. That is a great point. <laughs> and you have it. That's too much pressure for me. <laughs> Still, I think you, I, I, that's a great point. Yeah. It's not works. I get it. But there is the idea that, hey, listen, this is just the right thing to do. I took whatever it is. If he doesn't want to give the details, he hasn't done that yet. He could just say, all right, there's some questions around it. Don't pay me the milestone. He's okay, I would think, financially. I mean, I don't know his situation, but I would think he's okay, especially if he plays out the last few years of his contract. But I think you make a great point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I go with just pay the guy. Let him let him have it. Um, Anything that costs the Yankees more money, that's okay with <laughs> there me. There couldn't too. be a bigger asterisk next to those milestone numbers, though. There could be. It's called Barry Bonds. Yeah. <laughs> Coming up later in the program, we're going to talk to Ted Gluck, author of a number of faith-based sports books. You'll listen to Benson and those guys, brought to you by Town & Country Test Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and Those Guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. If you have a pest problem, they are who you need to call. I know it's still cold and snowy outside, but those warm days are right around the corner and those pesky critters are going to start coming out. Town & Country Pest Solutions has been in business for over 25 years and have a team of knowledgeable professionals that guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. McAfee's Remodeling is a full-service remodeling company, locally owned and operated for nearly two decades. McAfee's team of professionals can help remodel or replace your windows, and for exterior and interior remodels, no one beats their personal and professional service. Call McAfee's Remodeling at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. G&T Youth Baseball is registering for its 2015 season. G&T has divisions to accommodate boys and girls ranging from ages 5 to 15 years. Games are played Saturday mornings beginning May 2nd and continuing through June 27th. Some age groups will have a weeknight practice time as well. All games are played at the beautiful G&T Sports Park in Hilton. The baseball programs offered through G&T Athletics teach baseball in a fun, family-centered environment that is sure to provide your family with many fond memories. For more information or to register, visit gntathletics.info. That's gntathletics.info. Darren here, the unreasonable one. I try to have fun on the air with Benson and those guys, but I want you to know that I'm serious about its message. I really do want people to hear about Jesus Christ, and I love that we can use sports to help spread that message. You know that I love sports, but I hope you also know how important the gospel of Jesus Christ is. If you enjoy the program, please tell others about us, and if you believe that using sports to share biblical principles can be effective, then perhaps you can help us cover the cost of being on this station. You can go to our website, btgprogram.com, and make a one-time donation or even become a recurring 
recurring supporter. Being a part of this program has meant a lot to me. Your continued prayers are appreciated. And as always, thanks for listening to Benson and those guys. Ted Cluck joins us on the BTG studio line. He has written and or co-written over a dozen and a half books. He has played professional indoor football, trained as a professional wrestler. He served as a missionary and has founded a publishing house. He's also a husband and a father of two. Ted, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to talk with us. Hey, thanks so much, man. It's my pleasure. Ted, I have to tell you, I'm very excited to have you on. When I started the show, you were one of those half-two guys that I wanted to have on. I've Read a couple of your books, and in them you come across uh, very honest, very real, which I identify with. Oh, cool. You're too kind. My goodness, man, that list of things you have accomplished is very impressive. And I didn't even mention yet the two podcasts. Of all those things, <laughs> is there one thing that sticks out as being more difficult than you may have thought? Yeah, you know, in a way, they were they were all difficult. Uh, I, I think just getting started in writing, you know, it's a it's a tough business because whenever you're freelance and whenever you're self-employed, you know, you kind of you work without the safety net of uh, of a company, of health insurance, of some of those things that maybe we take for granted when we're growing up. So uh, it was a wild ride. It, it was a lot of a lot of failure, kind of kind of wrapped around you know some enough success to kind of justify keeping going. And and I tell you, there's nothing like you know there's nothing like living that way to make you really uh, rely on the Lord for your provision. You know, I think I, I had a lot of my pride beaten out of me by that in a good way. And um, hopefully it's been replaced by just learning how day by day to humbly, you know, rely on the Lord for my provision. You are a part of a number of podcasts. Tell us what those are about. <laughs> yeah, sure. And and I'm not a social media guy at all. In fact, I, I kind of hate social media. So a few years ago, three or four years ago, I got off Facebook. Uh, I was never on Twitter, so I'm not a big social media guy. But about a year ago, I was pro- approached by a couple of other authors, uh, Barnabas Piper, John Piper's son, and uh, another guy named Stephen Altrogi about starting a podcast called The Happy Rant. And um, I said yes, kind of because I felt guilty about not really doing anything to market my books. And I knew the publicist and uh, an agent would be happy. So uh, so I said yes, and uh, and it's been a blast, man. We, uh, we usually discuss three or four issues per episode. Uh, we record every week. The episodes are 30 or 40 minutes long, and sometimes we talk about sports, sometimes publishing, uh, sometimes the church, just stuff that's going on in society, and uh, it's a blast. We laugh a lot. And then uh, the other ones that I'm involved in, one is called the Gut Check Podcast. That's a, a product of my little publishing company, Gut Check Press. Uh, so myself and Zach Bartles, our co-founder, uh, we do that one. It's a lot less formal, and uh, we just we just laugh a lot, man. We we bust each other's chops and talk about whatever, and uh, and it's fun. It's really fun. And then uh, the final one is a, a podcast that's that's really really well done. It's called Mahaney Sports. Um, I'm on with CJ and Chad Mahaney. Uh, they're a father son duo. CJ is a pastor and an author. Uh, his son Chad is just kind of getting started uh, in media, but they do a great job and uh, talk about kind of all things football related from a Christian perspective. So uh, it's a blast. Now, you played football professionally in the Arena League, and you told me you've been through Rochester to play the Raiders when you were a member of the Battle Creek Crunch. Did you get a chance to get a garbage plate while you were here in town? <laughs> you know, I didn't, man. We were we were hardly in town long enough for any uh, any kind of local flavor, but uh, except the beating that we took from the Rochester Raiders, that's about all I remember getting uh, from my trip to Rochester. But no, it was a it was a really cool experience. That was. Uh, one season that I did indoor ball it was in 2006, and uh, it resulted in a book called Paper Tiger, uh, One Athlete's Journey Through the Underbelly of Pro Football is the, is the subtitle. But 
Um, it was a blast and a, and a privilege, of course, to be able to do that. And, uh, and it was fun to be in Rochester, albeit briefly. And I actually made a connection while I was, while I was playing in that league with a guy named Joe Bach, uh, who played in the USFL, had a, a few games in the NFL as well, and is a, is a Rochester resident. So he and I have, have teamed up on some interviews throughout the years on some other projects, and it's been great. Now, because you played football professionally, you certainly have a greater perspective on the reality of the game. You wrote in a blog piece that you give your son such advice as hit him in the ear hole, and if you bring your forearm up into his chin, that'll shut him up. Those kinds of remarks run counter to current trends in youth sports where folks almost try to pansify it. I believe you called it Disney-fying it, and, and they take much of the competitiveness out of sports. But that's not real life, is it? And taking the competitiveness out doesn't necessarily enhance the great life lessons found in sports, does it? No, I totally agree. I think it removes a lot of the life lessons, to be honest. And, you know, some of the best lessons I've ever learned and some of the best things that that the Lord has taught me through sports and continues to teach me to this day have been uh, when I've been on the losing end of things. You know, it's it's tough to lose, man. It's, It's a tough, tough thing to have to walk across that field and shake the hand of the guy that just beat you. And, you know, football has always been my first love athletically. And, and now I get to share that with my son. And I tell you, there's nothing, there's nothing tougher than football. You know, it's a, it's a battle and it's combat. And, um, I want my sons to be respectful. I want them to be kind. I want them to be Christ-like, uh, in their lives on and off the field. But when you're on that field, you're also, uh, you're a competitor and your teammates are accountable to you and you're accountable to them. And, you know, if somebody's doing something to you on the field that, that you have to regulate, you know, I think that's all part of the game, and it's actually a fun part of the game. You know, I miss that. Uh, in, in regular day-to-day life, there's there's kind of nothing as exciting as playing football, and everything has seemed a little boring since then, to be honest. Yeah, you mentioned that that kid who drops the F-bombs will not respect you until you've planted them in the ground and made them hurt, and then you said, ironically, they become friends after that. Yeah, you know, that's been my experience so many times as a, as a player, and I'm sure you remember those experiences growing up in the in the old days. Now, I mean, things were different maybe when we were kids. Uh, um, but yeah, that that kid that's talking noise, and you know, you end up scuffling a little bit with him, and then at the end of the day, your friend. And I think I, I think culturally we're losing that. And and boy, when you read you read these segments of things that I've written, I cringe a little bit because I'm like, man, people are going to hate that. But uh, but at the end of the day, you know, that's that's been my experience, and and football has been. Uh, more positive than negative in that regard and, and really relationally positive in the sense that I think as, as Christians, as people who are involved in the church, it gives us, uh, an amazing way to be in community with people and to, to be in relationships with people that we otherwise, otherwise might not be able to, uh, to, to reach or be in relationships with. The many Christians celebrate athletes like Tim Tebow, Russell Wilson for their openness towards their faith. Yet I've met a number of people who are equally turned off, not necessarily by what they're saying, but rather how much they are saying it. Do you think there's a balance there somewhere? Yeah, I really do. You know, I, I think one of the hardest things to do, Rick, is to separate the message uh, of a person from the brand of a person. And I think in this age of, of media oversaturation and social media and all the stuff that we deal with now, you know, nothing ever really seems sincere. Uh, and that's why, you know, with a guy like Tebow or Russell Wilson, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to hear that message and not think that it's linked to kind of a personal brand and, and, you know, whatever they're trying to accomplish from a business standpoint. And, and I don't want to be uncharitable in that. I, I probably fall into the camp where it, it turns me off more than it inspires me as a, as a believer. Um, and I tend to, to want to be a little bit more low key about, about some of those things myself. But, uh, at the same time, I know there's, there's room for grace and, uh, I know that 
we serve a sovereign Lord who can use all kinds, you know, certainly wish the best to those guys. And, and, you know, as they grow and mature, uh, I think your perspective changes too. And, and there was a time, I remember there was a time where, you know, you, you couldn't ask Kurt Warner a question about anything without having him respond with something Jesus related. And then, and then I think, you know, he's no less sincere about his faith now, but, you know, he's become so much, uh, better, I think, and more adept. Uh, in the spotlight to where he's now one of the best analysts in the game and he can really talk about the game in a, in a unique way but still talk about his faith too and I think that's uh, a great thing. We're talking with author Ted Cluck. His books are such an honest, straight-talking look at our approach to both sports and faith. It can sometimes jar us out of our comfort zone and in your most recent book called Household Gods, it's written with your wife of course, you talk about a Christian subculture that idolizes and maybe even over-celebrates families. What do you mean by that and by escaping that ideology and fleeing to the cross? Yeah, yeah, great question. I, I think for us, we realized that family was kind of the last acceptable bastion of idolatry within the church. You know, you're you're allowed to sort of post the 75 Facebook pictures of your perfect kids and their perfect birthday party and, and the cute thing that your kid did at church. And uh, I think for us, being that, you know, so often we felt like, man, we, we suck at being parents and, you know, we're making all these mistakes. We just felt a ton of pressure in that. Um, while, while it felt like at the same time the family was, was on this unhealthy pedestal that almost replaced God at times in the church. Um, so I, I think we wanted to write about that, but really what the book became as, as we dug into it more deeply was, um, really an examination of a lot of the idolatries that we have in our own heart that kind of present in the context of family. Uh, one of which being sports, um, it, for me especially, where uh, I realized that, man, sports is, it, it's been such an idol for me. And having success as an athlete, success as a coach, now success as a, a parent of young athletes, um, at times I was living like that was my functional God. And, and in doing so, you know, I really negated, you know, the testimony and the glory that should have that should have belonged to Christ. And I was trying to have all that glory for myself. The first book I read of yours was Why We're Not Emergent by Two Guys That Should Be. In it, you parse the difference between an invitation to a Jesus lifestyle and a realization of what was accomplished at the cross on our behalf. How could believers be better at building disciples who have embraced forgiveness of sins and not simply an acceptance by maybe cool Christian hipsters, if you will? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think it's it's a fundamental question to Christianity. So if somebody if somebody invites me into a way of life that says we need to live more like Jesus, you know, I think a lot of times that's packaged and sold in a really attractive way. And we think, you know, wow, what a great thing. What could be wrong with that? And, you know, really the, the only thing that could be wrong with it is, is me because I can't, even on my best of days, I can't even come close. You know, uh, I can't even come close because I have sin nature in my heart. You know, my flesh desires things that, that are apart from Christ and it's only in Christ and it's only in Christ's work on the cross. Uh, paying the penalty for my sinfulness and my guilt, uh, that I can ever have any freedom and peace in this world. And I think what was so seductive about the emergent church was this feeling that, you know, maybe through activism, through trying to live like Jesus, that we could, we could sort of earn our salvation. And I think, you know, we wanted to gently point out that, that we disagree and that salvation is only in Christ and the cross. The opening chapter of your book, The Reason for Sports, it's, is both sad and humorous as you discuss the jock apology, these watered-down kind of I'm-sorries. And and that's certainly relevant to the current uh, Alex Rodriguez situation with his reluctance to be specific. Do you think with Alex it's just a pride thing, or is it something inherent in all of us, that natural avoidance of dealing with our own sins? Mm, 
I, I think it's inherent in all of us. And I think, you know, the minute we start to think that we're better than Alex Rodriguez or Mike Tyson or, or whoever the athlete is, I, I think that's a dangerous moment, you know? And it's so easy. I mean, people get on sports talk radio or on the internet and they, and they rip these guys up one side and down the other. But it, it's easy for me to realize that I'm only one or two bad choices away from being there and from having that kind of public embarrassment. And so on one sense, there's a, there's a ton of sympathy for a guy like Alex Rodriguez who's going through what he's going through. And, and in another very real way, I mean, the, the, the best thing that could happen to him would be to, to sort of embrace that in total humility and say, uh, I've been wrong. You know, I've been wrong in really specific ways. I've hurt people in really specific ways. And, and now I need a redeemer and I need forgiveness. And I, I think for any athlete who's, who's really messed up publicly, I mean, that's the, the hope and the prayer for that person, just like it's the hope and the prayer for you and me, you know, and, and we know what we've done and we know the people that we've hurt and we know the ways that we need forgiveness too. So I think we, we as audience members have a lot more in common with, uh, with Alex Rodriguez than we might think. Now, is it true the rumors are that you have a boxing ring in your basement? <laughs> that is absolutely true. Much to the chagrin and disdain of my wife, uh, I do indeed have a boxing ring in my basement. I, uh, for a very short time, I managed a, a professional heavyweight fighter here in the Lansing area, and he would come out. Uh, he'd come out to my house. He'd come out to my house in the suburbs, and we'd go down to the basement, and I would spar. Uh, I'd spar around with him to try to get him ready for his fight. So uh, it was a blast. It was so much fun. I learned so much about boxing, which is another one of those dying sports that's kind of being marginalized, I think. But uh, but a, a great guy and a great experience. Ted, can you share with us how you first came into a personal relationship with Christ? Yeah, I sure can. And it's it's kind of a, a multi-tiered story in the sense that I grew up in a Christian home. My, my parents were, they were young believers themselves. You know, I, I think they didn't have a lot of theological kind of grounding at that time. So I, I you know, I grew up in a Christian home with very loving parents who loved the Lord, but I think it wasn't until I got older that I started to be challenged with things theologically. I think for a long time I thought that if I was a Christian who was an athlete and I stayed out of trouble and I did the right things, that God would reward me with the kind of sports career that I wanted. And, and really finding out that that's not how God works, God isn't a, a cosmic deal maker, so to speak. Um, that was my first, the first kind of blow to my shallow theology, and it caused me to go deeper, and it, it caused me to ask the question, you know, can I, can I love a Lord who would allow me to not live a dream? And uh, I think our culture is so big on living dreams and following your dreams that, you know, I, I needed to taste and see God's goodness even in the midst of a dream being taken away. I, I had a fairly significant injury as a college football player, and for a while thought I would never be able to play again, and, and that was a kind of the first blow and the first challenge. And then later in life, later, you know, in my married life, um, you know, the Holy Spirit just made me aware of, of some long-standing sin areas in my life that I hadn't dealt with. Um, and it was a, it was a very significant and jarring experience with the Holy Spirit is, is the best way that I can put it. And, uh, I was very humbled by that. It, it resulted in asking a lot of people for forgiveness. The road to kind of restoration was long and painful, but, but really good. And again, it was a, it was a chance to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, uh, in the land of the living. And he allowed me to kind of have another shot at living a joyful, peaceful life. And, uh, and it's been amazing, man. And, and I tell you, you know, there's no one, there's no one who's unredeemable. Uh, and there's no sin that's, that's unredeemable in Christ. And, uh, and that would be my message, you know, and that would be, 
uh, hopefully what comes through in this testimony is that I don't sit in a place of judgment on people where I feel like, you know, because I grew up in the church, I'm better. And in fact, I think if we fully understand the gospel, we realize our own wretchedness. Like Paul, uh, at the end of Romans 7, he says, what a wretched man I am, you know, who, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then in chapter uh, chapter 8, at the beginning, he comes in with uh, with the gospel and with the answer, and it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. We're talking with podcaster, publisher, author, husband, father, Ted Cluck. His most recent book is Household Gods, and you can find out more about him at tedcluck.com. That's Cluck with a K. How can our listeners get their hands on your books? Yeah, they can go to Amazon.com. They could go to uh, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold, and grab them that way. They could also uh, get links to them through uh, www.tedcluck.com. Any prayer requests? How can we pray for you? Yeah, I think just for energy and, and steadfastness to finish some projects that I've got uh, that I've got coming down the pike here. So there's always a a sense where you want the pipeline to be full, but then there's that moment where you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, man, I, I can't necessarily do this on my own. So I think, you know, just for provision, for steadfastness, if if the Lord wants me to keep writing, that uh, He would allow me to, to be able to do these projects well and, and keep the pipeline full of work. That's Ted Cluck. Ted, thanks for joining us, man. I really had a good time talking to you. Rick, thank you so much, man. Your questions were great. Bye yeah, now. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Ted Cluck. You can find out more about him, tedcluck.com. You can find his books on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever it is you like to get books. If you haven't read any of Ted's books, they're very interesting. They're well-written. They're provocative. They will cause you maybe to be a little unsettled at times. Ted has a way of moving you from your comfort zone, getting you to reevaluate to Consider whether or not your perspective is really biblical, whether it's really Christ-like, or if it's just common accepted Christianese. I've been saying since the beginning of the show, we're going to have Pastor Shane share his testimony. So, Pastor Shane, tell us how you came to know Christ. I came to know Christ by my father who helped lead me in the sinner's prayer as a child. But from the time from childhood to adulthood, I started to walk away from Christ. There was My family started to go to church less and less, and I started to grow farther away from Christ. When I was 21, I met my wife and started attending church more regularly with her. That's when I rededicated my life to Christ. When I did that, I still had doubts. I had doubts as to whether I actually believed what I said that I believed. I needed something, some sort of proof that would help me to solidify my beliefs. God used the Bible to help me through that. One of the verses that he led me to was Galatians 1.10. It says, For I, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And this started to convict me about the beliefs that I did have, the doubts that I did have. God also used the Bible to point me to uh, Judas Iscariot. When I read through the Gospels, I can't help but feel bad for Judas. Judas is the betrayer, the one who sells Jesus over to the Roman guards. We label him as that, and he gets a bum rap. But Jesus loved Judas. He was one of Jesus' chosen apostles. The Bible tells us that Judas was possessed by Satan himself. I couldn't help but wonder, what is the difference between Judas and Peter? Peter denied knowing Jesus. I couldn't help but see what the difference was. The answer comes through this. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus was an innocent man. It wasn't the death on the cross, though, that is what set Jesus apart. What set Jesus apart is that he was dead and buried, and in three days he rose again. And that Jesus, to this day, is alive. Judas wasn't there to experience that. Judas showed the remorse of what he did by killing himself. Peter was around. He saw that G Jesus came back and was alive. 
Peter was able then to put his faith fully in Jesus to where Peter eventually gives his life to Jesus. God used that example to show to me that something happened. Peter went from denying Jesus to believing in him to sacrificing his life for Jesus. To me, that's enough. Jesus died on the cross for my sins, me a sinner, and that he is still alive. One of the verses that I live by now is Romans 1.16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's what I place my hope in. I place my hope in Jesus Christ and recognize that his salvation is for you and for me, sinners that he died for and now loves with all of his heart. Thank you, Shane. Kind of an awkward transition to go from something awesome to something ignorant, but here's Darren with his unreasonable rant. Anyone that knows Benson knows that my man loves to eat. Some people might even say that going to restaurants is his hobby, which is why I shouldn't have been surprised when he got recognized this past weekend by our waiter, but I was. You say, Darren, it's happened before when I've eaten with him. What's the big deal? We were in Canada. We were in a different country. Rick Benson, hip-hop Rick, the ugly sweater aficionado, the man that made turtlenecks cool again, is an international superstar all because of his love for food. If you don't find this amazing, you should, because not only was it in another country, but it was at a Brazilian steakhouse. If you're a man and not familiar with what that is, you need to be. It's a place that keeps bringing you different kinds of meat on a stick until you tell them to stop. All men, if they're living right, should be as well known in an establishment like this. You, sir, are an inspiration. I applaud your restaurant game prowess, and I hope one day to be just like you when I grow up. You just blew my mind. If you're a male and you have not been to a Brazilian steakhouse, give me a call. Reach out to us on our website, btgprogram.com. Benson clearly loves to go to them. My pest of the week is the Woodstock, Illinois girls basketball team. In a regional win in a high school basketball tournament, they got so excited that they pinned a Barbie doll to a crucifix and took their picture with it at rival Marion Central Catholic School. My pest of the week, the Woodstock girls basketball team and their coach who was also in the picture. That's kind of creepy. My pest of the week is ESPN's Keith Olbermann, who got himself in trouble again, got suspended for calling Penn State students pitiful and morons on from his Twitter account. My pest of the week is Derek Rose's knees. The guy's 26 years old and is on his way to his third knee surgery since the 2012 playoffs. He was the rookie of the year. Then he was an MVP two seasons later. He played 99% of those games. Since then, he's played in 33% of the Bulls games. His knees are taking away what should be a stellar career with a very talented player. Very sad to see. My pest of the week, Derek Rose's knees. My pest of the week is any college that is recruiting LeBron James's son at 10 years old. That's just wrong. Give him some time. Hope you enjoyed the show. Glad you joined us. Benson and those guys is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. You can find out more about us on our website, btgprogram.com. Follow us on Twitter, at btgprogram. See you next week.